Um, I imagine that you're probably uh, familiar with the practice of most colleges and universities and perhaps some high schools um, of publishing an alumni magazine. Yeah, a couple times a year they'll uh, send it to their graduates to keep them up to date on uh, developments in the school and what alumni are doing. Um, as part of these updates, generally these magazines have what is often called an in-memoriam in section where they list all the um, uh, alumni who have passed away since the last issue. Um, I get one from the law school that I attended. Um, actually, maybe more accurately said, um, my parents get it delivered to their home because that's the address that the law school has for me. Um, one day a few years ago, my father faxed to me in Boston a page from the most recent issue of the magazine. So that was kind of unusual. He doesn't normally do that. I usually just pick it up the next time I'm there or whatever. Um, and as I looked it over, I thought, why is my father faxing me a page from the magazine? And it was um, a page of the in memoriam section at that. Um, and as I scanned it, I uh, discovered, to my surprise, listed among the deceased alumni was my name. <laughs> um, so I immediately checked my pulse. And uh, after verifying that I was still among the living, um, I thought, oh, well, I mean, there must be a different person, another person with the same name. But I looked, and, and no, it had my middle initial. It had reverend before it. It had my right degree and my right year. Um, so after I kind of overcame being startled, my next thought was, one line? Is that all I get? <laughs> I mean, one line among, you know, a hundred alumni, that's it? Um, just by way of an aside, I did find that uh, there is a benefit to being listed among the deceased alumni because they no longer write and ask me for money. Um, you know, it's just kind of funny, you know, but, uh, you know, who cares? I mean, if you're dead, who cares what they put in the alumni magazine? But it's just funny, your, your thought goes there, you know, that's it. Um, but actually, that, that story came back to mind as I was preparing for this talk, particularly the whole sense of, is that all? Um, in an address Pope Benedict gave in England uh, just a little over a year ago, he said something that I think is relevant to uh, our theme of this retreat. He said, and I quote, having money makes it possible to be generous and to do good in the world. But on its own, it's not enough to make us happy. Being highly skilled in some activity or profession is good, but it will not satisfy us unless we aim for something greater still. It might make us famous, but it will not make us happy. Happiness is something we all want, but one of the great tragedies in this world is that so many people never find it because they look for it in the wrong places. Um, the point um, I'm trying to make is that at some point in life, it's not uncommon for a person to stop and say, is this all that life has to offer? 
whether it be money or a career or a championship in sports or whatever. Uh, personally, I know what happened for me in my early 20s. Um, after I graduated from college, uh, I took a year off before I went to law school. Um, and I first thought of going into the business world for a year, but then I, my practical side, sat down and started doing calculations about um, having to buy business wardrobe and, you know, how much do you get for an entry-level position and calculating fuel and all that. And I came to the conclusion that I would be better off financially not going into a business job but working in a factory on an assembly line, which was five minutes from my house. So no wardrobe, hardly any travel, and okay. So that's what I did. I worked in an assembly line on a factory. Um, it wasn't so much that we produced things, but it was more that we packaged them. Um, uh, the factory is no longer there. Now uh, the site is a golf course. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, we would package like uh, things that you would find in a drugstore, but over the counter. I don't know, things like um, uh, electric shave or um, hand lotion, those kind of things. So our job was the manufacturer would send them to us and we would put them into packages and mail them on to things. So one of the things I realized um, working on an assembly line is once your hands figure out what they have to do, which usually takes about 15 minutes, you know, just then they just do it automatically. And the benefit of that is your mind is pretty much free. So for an eight-hour shift, you figure it out for the first 15 minutes, and then you have seven hours and 45 minutes where your mind can... Okay, so um, during that year, I spent, not, not intentionally, but it just went that way, I started uh, considering my life's goals as I'm working on this assembly line. Uh, I wanted to go to law school, I wanted to become a lawyer, I wanted to get married, have a family, and achieve a certain standard of living. And at some point in that year, all of a sudden I realized, you know, realistically, I'm going to accomplish this in the next five to ten years. And then what? Is that all there is? And um, that set me on a path to begin to explore more deeply who God was and his uh, place in my life. Um, the point is, sisters, that possessions, pleasure, accomplishments, sooner or later, show themselves as incapable of fulfilling the deepest yearnings of the human heart. Um, because all of these desires that we have for wealth or fame or accomplishments or whatever are expressions of a deeper yearning, a deeper thirst. That is, we all thirst for a relationship with God. We all really want to know and be in an intimate relationship with God, and nothing will ultimately satisfy us except that. All that this world offers, even I'm not even talking about necessarily bad things, even good things, um, ultimately can't satisfy this deep thirst that we have. A relationship with God is the only thing, the only one, who can stand up to, can meet the magnitude of the thirst that really lies at the deepest heart, deepest part of our hearts. Um, the sisters, our Carmelite sisters, have a, a song based on the theme for this retreat, You Were Born for Greater Things. Uh, and the refrain of that song goes, 
whatever earth contains cannot suffice for a soul made in God's image. That really captures it. Whatever earth contains, even the best things, cannot ultimately suffice for you and me who are made in God's image. We yearn for something more. I think that's what the Holy Father was getting at in that talk in England. It was St. Augustine who uh, some people think wrote the greatest line of all time outside of the Bible when he wrote of God, you made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Um, In other words, we're made with a God-shaped hole in our hearts and nothing else will fill it. Whereas the the Holy Father was getting at, the tragedy is that so often people can spend their lives trying to fill a hole, which is like the size of the Grand Canyon, with marbles, like the marbles of fame or, or wealth or accomplishments or abuse of sex or drugs or alcohol, whatever it happens to be. And it doesn't work. Um, One aspect, a key aspect of this God-shaped hole is the destiny that God desires for us. As we're talking about in this tree, we were born for greater things. And a key component of those greater things is the destiny God desires for us, which we call heaven. We all thirst for the infinite. We thirst for happiness that doesn't end. We were born for more than this world offers because we were made for heaven. Heaven is the goal that God has for us. Heaven is, as it were, the capital, the greater thing for which we were born. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. On a, on a retreat that's focused on you are born for greater things, I thought I at least ought to spend one conference on talking about this greater thing of heaven. Um, what I, uh, I'd like to do, I, I, I can't really say that this is... Um, this conference is organized kind of sequentially. It's more kind of um, meditations on different aspects of heaven. Um, the reason is because uh, it's a mystery. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 9, I think it might even be on your sheet, says, What eye has not seen, an ear has not heard, and what, not, what has not entered the human heart what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, we haven't seen it. We haven't experienced it. Um, And yet God has prepared it for, or God is preparing it for us. It's one of the most fundamental aspects of our faith, the mystery of heaven. And it is a mystery because God has revealed some things about it to us, but not everything. In fact, we have more questions about it by far than we have answers. St. Paul, speaking of himself, says that I know someone in Christ, meaning himself, who was caught up into paradise and heard ineffable things which no one may utter. Well, if St. Paul, 
who had this experience of paradise, if he can't capture in words what he saw, how can we do it? And yet, even as inadequate as our attempts be, may be, we need to speak of it insofar as we know or can imagine what heaven would be like. Um, because in this talk, I don't have all eternity to talk about heaven, I'm just going to look at a few of the bigger questions. As I said, more kind of in the nature of kind of meditating on it. I, I guess the first kind of question that comes to my mind um, is, does heaven exist? I mean, is it for real? Uh, personally, I can tell you, if heaven is not real, then for me, I'm going to be madder as hell. Um, I mean, if, if, if you know what I mean. Seriously, though, we know that there is life after death because Jesus assures us that there is, and then he proves it by rising from the dead himself. But even apart from the, the kind of proof of that by faith, um, creation points in that direction as well. Meaning, science tells us that nothing in nature not even the tiniest particle totally disappears without a trace. I mean, we speak of extinction, but nature doesn't actually know extinction. It does know transformation. Um, so is it possible with lesser things in creation, like rocks and plants and trees, that God would not let them go completely out of existence, but that he would? for the crown of his creation, you and me, men and women. Um, one of the most uh, highly celebrated and widely influential Spanish intellectuals of the 20th century was a philosopher named Miguel de Unamuno. Um, he was a secular thinker, so he wasn't approaching philosophy from the angle of faith. Um, but he was one time rebuked by one of his uh, philosophical friends because Unamuno was searching after life after death. And the friend felt that in doing so, Unamuno was being proud or presumptuous, as if somehow you, we merit, were owed life after death. And Unamuno in response said this, he said, I'm not saying that we merit an afterlife, that we deserve it. He said, I'm saying that we need it, whether we deserve it or not. I am saying that what, what passes away does not satisfy me, that I have a thirst for eternity, and without it, everything is indifferent to me. Without it, there is no longer any joy in living. I, I think he's captured it here. I mean, not, not from a faith perspective, but simply from a secular philosophical perspective. If, if all that this world is, if that's all there is, then what does it matter what I do? I mean, it's all going to end anyway. He's saying, I'm not saying we, we, we deserve it, but I'm saying I need it. I mean, if there's any joy in living, it's only because it's not going to end. Like... What I do here has significance, and I'm building something that's going to continue. Not that it's going to poof, be gone when I'm dead. So, sisters, having faith in the existence of heaven means believing 
that the deepest things we long for, like, I will not cease to exist at my death, that there really is eternal happiness, that I will be reunited with departed loved ones. Having belief in the existence of heaven means that all of these things, these deepest yearnings of ours, they're not fantasies that are going to be dashed at the moment of death. Rather, they're yearnings that God has put into us because he intends to fulfill them. That's what belief in the existence of heaven means. Okay, if you buy that it's real, that it does exist, I think the next question is, what is it going to be like? And I mean, we have some conceptions of heaven. Um, um, most often, I think, they're of fluffy clouds, uh, chubby cherubs, um, harps and halos, more or less. Um, so I mean, is, like, is heaven like a really, 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 really long mass? I mean, with, with a homily that drones on for like 2,000 years, I mean, is that, is that what it's going to be like? I mean, in other words, so often I think, whether people say it or not, it, the question is that, I mean, is it going to be dull and boring? I mean, is that, is that what it's going to be? Um, I have to say to you, I, I think with good reason, um, I envision heaven as a marvelous combination of exciting activity and rest. Why do I say that? Uh, Dante, in his Paradiso of his Divine Comedy, he does not present heaven as dull and boring, very staid. Um, rather, he presents heaven as a place of continual motion, whirling around the throne of God. And I think he does that because God is the God of the living. And so the people who are in heaven, closest, profoundly united with God, are people who are fully alive. So I think we can get a glimpse into heaven if we think about the moments in life where we experience being most fully alive. I mean, for, for each one of us, it's probably very different whether, I don't know, for some people maybe on a roller coaster, other people swimming in the ocean, for some people holding a baby who's asleep, for other people maybe walking on the beach at sunset with the person that they love. Let your mind go, where is it that, you know, in this life I experience being most fully alive? And that is the dimmest reflection of what being in heaven will be like. Is heaven going to be boring? I would say we will not experience boredom in heaven, but heaven is the total opposite of boredom. Just as it's the total opposite of things like frustration or futility or emptiness or loneliness or despair. So firsthand, that's why I say I think it's going to be this um, marvelous combination of exciting activity aliveness. On the other hand, being at rest. And, and I don't mean rest in terms of dull, but rest in the sense of being at home. 
being where I've always wanted to be, the place where I am fully myself. Um, so often I think uh, we can conceive of heaven as something strange, far away, supernatural. But I think it's going to be utterly natural because, I mean, it seems natural to us in the sense that it's what we were designed for. It will be custom-fitted for us. It will be complete satisfaction and contentment, rest in that sense. Um, you know, it will be where we will say, I belong here. You know, if you think of moments in life where you felt you haven't belonged, the exact opposite of that. Yeah, this is so right. This is where I belong. Heaven is where I'm fully at peace with myself because I'm profoundly united with God. It's the most deep union with God enriched by our relationships with others. You know, earlier uh, today I was talking about St. Francis de Sales and was um, encouraging you, if you haven't read anything of him, uh, to do so. He, he says that friendships begun in this world will be taken up again in heaven, now never to be broken off. So if you want to think about your most profound relationships and how so often, whether because of distance or time, we just don't have enough time to talk about everything. And Okay, there's going to be plenty of time in heaven. No breaking off. Just profound communion, relationships with others. Um, added to those relationships will be all the new ones we will form with the saints. I don't just mean canonized saints, I mean all those who are in heaven. Um, you know, this, um, you know, and, and, and think about it this way, like, um, everybody there will be perfected. So, um, all the um, irritating qualities <laughs> will be removed. Not only from them, but from me, too. Um, this aspect of heaven, our relationships with one another, um, reminds me of one other point that I should mention. You know the whole, you cannot take it with you thing? Okay, um, I hate to tell you this, but um, it applies to cell phones. So you just figure this retreat is kind of, a, you know, beginning to get us ready, ready for that. You won't need them. Um, seriously, though. Heaven will be this perfect blend of peaceful rest and exciting activity. As St. Paul says, you know, it's going to be better and more than we can imagine, not less. Um, uh, in this context, it might be helpful to mention something Pope Benedict said about heaven. He said, Christianity does not proclaim some, merely some salvation of the soul in a vague afterlife. Meaning he said, okay, we're not just talking about God saving the soul, the spiritual part, 
but also Christianity professes a resurrection of the body too. Um, so he says we're not just proclaiming merely some salvation of the soul in a vague afterlife in which all that is precious and dear to us in this world would be eliminated. Nothing that is precious and dear to us will fall into ruin. Rather, it will find its, fulfill, its fullness in God. In other words, the Lord is not only saving us or the spiritual component of us, but bringing to perfection all that has been done in him while we were on earth. Uh, for me, uh, I find this a very um, profoundly hopeful thought. In other words, as I look back over my life and I think of all the efforts to promote God or goodness, even if they're somewhat tainted by you know, maybe not all the most perfect uh, motivations or whatever, but all those efforts to do good or that have gone astray or that people misunderstood, all of those are being built upon and perfected by Christ. They're not just lost into the uh, vague void of human life. That God takes them and purifies them and brings them to completion in heaven. That's why St. Paul can say with such assurance at the end of chapter 15 of the first letter of Corinthians, therefore, beloved brethren, be firm, steadfast, always fully devoted to the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So all those efforts at goodness that have been thwarted and that tempt us to despair and discouragement and say, well, forget it, what's the use? No, St. Paul said they're not going to be in vain. God sees them and brings them to perfection and completion. Uh, there's another question about heaven that many people have. Uh, personally, it's not a uh, key issue to me, but I've realized over time that a lot of people have it, so I thought I ought to answer it as well. Uh, the question goes something like this. Will Boots, my cat, be in heaven? <laughs> you can substitute your favorite animal or, or name of your cat. Uh, I can tell you this, uh, the church gives no definitive pronouncement on it. Um, but St. Thomas Aquinas, who is probably the greatest theologian the church has ever produced, says that whatever is necessary for your eternal happiness will be there in heaven. So, taking from that, an educated guess would be that if your eternal happiness is going to be diminished, because Boots is not there, he probably will be there. But I do have to caution you. Be careful what you ask for, because you may get it. If Boots is there, you are going to be responsible for emptying the litter box for all of eternity. I'm not doing that. I guess, uh, you know, another question is, if, if heaven does exist, does it make any difference? In other words, does it make any difference here and now? Or is it just something, okay, out there, you know, okay, good, I'll look forward to it. Uh, I guess my response to it would be, well, I look at the people who most believe in it and how they live their life on earth, like the saints, Mother Teresa. The folks who most believe in heaven do not seem to be the most inactive on earth. In fact, they seem so often to be the movers and shakers of things on earth. 
And I think the reason has to do with what we were talking about a little earlier with uh, Unamuno and his thought. Like, if it all just ends at death, what's the point? Like, uh, I mean, I guess one approach is just eat, drink, and be merry because whatever, just grab all the pleasure you can now because it's going to end anyway. Or, um, I don't care about anything. But you don't see that among the saints. Somehow they realize that the Our Father praying that your kingdom come means not just get me there, but make it come more and more now. In other words, having a taste of what heaven is like, the saints say, well, let's try to do whatever we can to bring it here and now. You know, um, let's do whatever we can to bring the life of heaven as much as we know it here and now. So does it make any difference? Yeah, I think it makes a profound difference. And, and I would point to the saints as the evidence of that. Um, I, I wanted to mention something uh, about the crest on my shirt pocket. Um, I bring it up because each time I've given a retreat here, people have asked me about it. Um, it's a little bit of a digression from what we're talking about, but actually I think in a certain way it ties into it. Um, as you may have seen, the crest of my community is a cross in the shape of an anchor. Um, across the um, horizontal bar is the word hope, and on the vertical bar near the end is an M. Uh, the hope, my community, the Brotherhood of Hope, and uh, the superimposed M on the vertical piece of the anchor represents our devotion to the Blessed Mother. Uh, little brief history, it was designed by one of the members of my community. Um, his home state is Rhode Island. Um, it was only after he showed it to us and we adopted it did he tell us that it bears a striking resemblance to the crest of the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> In fact, except for the M, it is the crest of the state of Rhode Island. Um, I must admit, at first I was a little startled that he didn't tell us, but I've forgiven him. Um, and I guess I justify it by saying, well, if you're from the smallest state in the Union, I guess you take whatever chance you can to pr promote your state. The reason why we, in the Brotherhood and, and Rhode Island, have hope written on the anchor uh, is because it comes from a passage in the Bible. In the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19, the author says, hope is the anchor of the soul. Uh, the image that's trying to be conveyed is of a ship whose anchor is down at the sea. And it's in a storm, and so it's being rocked and lashed by the waves and the wind. However, it is not thrust upon the rocks and destroyed because the anchor holds it firm. And so the, uh, the image that's trying to be conveyed is in the midst of the storms of life, even though you're being lashed around, you're not being destroyed because your hope is fixed in heaven. In other words, you, um, your faith in God and your faith in bringing you to heaven is really the thing that anchors you and that the storm lashing you, okay, that's part of life, it's reality, but it's not full reality, and it's not the most fundamental reality. Really, your hope lies in heaven, and, and that's what gives you anchor in, in the midst of your life. I, I, we need to end, but I, I just want to say two final things by way of closing. 
The first is this. If our conceptions of heaven are off the mark at all, it's because they're too little and not because they're too much. In other words, it's because we're not expecting as much as we should. Um, St. Paul, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard and what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. If we're going to let our minds go with heaven, let them go greater rather than less. The final thought comes from one of the PowerPoint slides from uh, Friday evening's presentation over in Modern Day Hall. It was one in which Mother Luisita said, raise your eyes to heaven and see the joy that is awaiting you. I think that's key, sisters. Let the wonders of what God is preparing for us draw us on and encourage us as we pursue holiness. Because even as good as life is here, whether natural or spiritual, life in heaven is even better. We were born for greater things, greater things even than the best that this world has to offer.